as he exits his line, he lands in that gully kind of right as that snow and ice gets to him. And it kind of swipes him off his feet and carries him through this, these stand of trees and breaks his arm and, (gasps) and, um, gets buried on that lake surface. Oh my word. With about like two meters of snow in that process of him getting swiped through the trees, his beacon got turned off. Oh no. The avalanche beacons is like how we locate people buried in the snow. And that's what we train for is using those beacons to locate them. Welcome to The Practical Filmmaker, an educational podcast brought to you by the Filmmaker Institute and Sunscreen Film Festival, where industry professionals talk nuts and bolts and the steps they took to find their success today. On today's show, Ben Dan talks avalanches, what it takes to shoot action sports, and the best traits to have in order to crew the outdoor film world. Find the full transcripts and more at thepracticalfilmmaker.com. I'm your host, Tanya Musgrave, and today we have action sports cinematographer Ben Dan joining us, getting shots for the crazy world of Teton Gravity Research, Red Bull, and HBO. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, we had gotten a peek into this insane world uh, with one of our previous guests, Justin Fan, and we kind of broke down the differences between this kind of filmmaking and the traditional Hollywood model, like how the annual sports films get made and tour around, brand partnerships, et cetera. How did you get into this world? I grew up in Jackson, Wyoming, which <laughs> super lucky kid was able to yeah. grow up, grow up skiing and yeah. kayaking and mountain biking. And that was kind of my whole world for a long time. I got my first camera senior in high school. My whole world was whitewater for a long time. Um, and you'll find a lot of kayakers in that world, like a lot of them are photographers or filmmakers just because like hard white water takes you to some of the most beautiful places in the world. And mm-hmm. there's no, no, like those people are the ones who can capture it. Um, yeah. so it's like a pretty infectious part of that world. Like a ton of my white water friends are photographers and cineas that I work with all the time still. And that kind of drove the beginning of my filmmaking for a long time. And it wasn't a career or any sort of income for me. It was just like what I loved. And then I went to college in Bellingham, Washington at Western Washington University. Still kayaking was a huge part of my driving force there. I had an amazing crew of friends there and we're like, there was classified whitewater 30 minutes from campus. And that was like, (laughs) that was our whole world. Like school was Uh, somewhat of a, it was somewhat of a side note. Um, (laughs) Like when I, when I was like applying for colleges, I like circled all the places where there was good whitewater close to campus. (laughs) And, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life at that point. And I was just like, I'll just go and and I got super lucky with finding an amazing crew of people there. And I ended up falling in love with film and did some summer internships during college with Brain Farm when they were still a thing and um, Teton Gravity Research. And I actually started as a mechanical engineering major um, in college. And then halfway through, the people in my class like weren't really my scene. And I just kind of <laughs> wanted to change a pace. And I was like yeah. super into film and was looking into film schools. And nothing was motivating enough for me to leave what I had in Bellingham. Yeah. So I, I found the graphic design program at Western, which is awesome. And and the graphic world is much different than the video world, but <laughs> I was able to apply a lot of that work into my video career. And it was mm-hmm. like made me look at compositions differently. Mm, yeah. And I love my classmates. I love my 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 courses and all my work and professors were allowed me to do quite a bit of um video and and motion graphic work for those graphic design classes. So I kind of, I never really wish I went to film school. Yeah. I love the courses that I, that I took in my, in my college career and and it really set me up nicely for, for a career in in film. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
It's great. I mean, because like honestly, I, like I, at my film school, we had graphic design and animation really all on the same, and and fine art. I think even all on the same floor. So I mean. It's the same kind of vein of people, and I I don't know. It's like probably that same camaraderie that you found. It was it was the same at ours too. So like, totally. it, it was solid. Um, you kind of grazed over this part about like you know internships for a couple of people, but like you said that you had an internship with TGR. How did you land that? I had some video projects from. School that I had done, and for my whitewater career, I got super lucky early on. I met this guy named Kevin Pritchard, who's a professional windsurfer. When I was in Jackson,、mm. and we met filming on,、um, we were both just mountain biking and filming stuff in the past, and that's how we met.、Mm. And he hired me to come and film American windsurfing tour events.、Oh, okay. um, the first one I went to was in was in Mexico, and then one in Hawaii. And I mean, I was. B grade at best filmer at this point. <laughs> I was eighteen or nineteen. I had seventy and a long lens, and he flew me out to these places and had me film this stuff, and it was an amazing experience to like see a world I'd never really been a part of before. But there was this German editor who was putting these projects together, and he was an absolute wizard, and he would、mm. edit these entire projects in After Effects. Oh, and、nice. he made my work look so good. <laughs> So like very early on in my career, I had like some really nice pieces of work to show yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he made me look like a an absolute magician. So, <laughs> which was、amazing. an amazing leg up to get me started. It definitely、right. got me some jobs I may have may have not deserved. Oh but, come on, come on!、Um, well, you surrounded but, yourself with the right people. I mean, that's that's half of the job, really. <laughs> right, but it, it allowed me to to take on opportunities and step up to the challenges and. And、uh, it was an awesome, awesome way to start. So that's how I, that's kind of, I used those elements to apply to gravity research. I was a local、okay. kid, which maybe had given me an advantage. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I got to to go to TGR and like cut all their DVD extras and like do a bunch of editing work for them、mm-hmm. for the films for their ski films. I think it was the, the year of、um, the Dream Factory, which was like a full Alaska-based ski film. Ooh, okay. Danny Holland was like kind of my boss there, and Jill Gareffi and. Danny moved on to work for Brain Farm, and and all, and there's just a, a really great community of people at TGR, and and that kind of got me into the fold. And then I went back to college. I finished school, and then I graduated college, moved back to Jackson, was here for a few months, was living at my dad's house, and then moved into JFan's house. Actually, I see a room <laughs> open up. So JFan and I were living together, okay, which is okay. awesome. <laughs> and then.、Um, Cut、uh, Jeremy Jones Hire television together. We did like a outside TV TV sh- TV show for、okay. Jeremy Jones Hire,、okay. um, and that was my first job with TGR. And then later that winter, I got to go on my first shoot in the field,、okay. and then kind of the rest has been been history from there. Been history. Okay,、yeah. so the fact that you didn't go to like formal film school sort of worked out in a way because. It's not like the the roles that you would have on set necessarily translate to what you're shooting now, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. no, hundred percent. I mean, I, I've never went never went to film school, so I can't really comment on like how much of it would have applied to like what I do now. I mean, like some like I, you know, the the stuff that you were talking about, like design principles and you know that kind of thing. You you learn lighting and you learn equipment and that kind of a thing. But a lot of the times, they、uh, when we put together practice shoots, you know, we have your director, your first AD, second second AD, you know, like all of that fun stuff. 
the the impression that I got from Justin is that you don't necessarily have those particular types of roles like on set. You know, there's not you know necessarily no. <laughs> okay, definitely <all> right. not. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's definitely kind of somewhat of a one man band out there. I've done trips where you have a bunch of people in a shorter period of time. There's maybe a director there. There's aerial specialists. There's ground angles and all that sort of stuff. And it, it just kind of, it, it, it scales quite in a, in a big way. But for mo most of what we do for the ski film stuff for TGR, it's a lot of, you're the one waking up in the morning, putting packs together, going in the mm -hmm. field, yeah, shooting all day. Usually there's no more than three camera people. Um, okay. I've shot plenty of segments where I'm the only camera person. Oh, oh my gosh. And then you go home and you offload footage and you charge batteries and you go to sleep and you mm. wake up and do it again. And some of my fondest memories are being the only person out there. Really? Yeah, for sure. Like I, I shot an awesome powder segment with um, Nick McNutt and Tim Durchy in the Whistler okay. area. Uh -huh. And I think it might have been for Rogue Elements, but we had... We'd Rogue Elements, for, I remember that one. Okay, yeah. continue. We'd been there for a month and conditions were up and down, up and down, like not really super productive times. And then Tim and I had actually, we'd pulled the plug, we were heading home, we made it to Bellingham and we had spent the night in Bellingham. And then Nick called us in the morning, he's like, turn back on, you guys gotta come back up. It snowed a bunch, it went blue, <laughs> conditions were stable. Yeah. And we just spent like the next three days just hammering on a powder segment, just the three of us. Yeah, It was amazing, it was so productive. and. I mean, those those moments are few and far between that like have a small window um, with the right people and mm -hmm. have everything come together with stability and snow and light. Yeah. Lightning in a bottle. I've been on so many ski film projects and so many projects. Uh, ski film is always the hardest. There's there's so many more extra variables with weather and conditions and mm. and snow and crew dynamics and all that sort of stuff. And mm -hmm. And it's like it's fairly rare to walk away from a shoot and just be like, Yes, we got it. Everything was perfect. We nailed it the whole time. And there's yeah. plenty of segments that like when you watch the final cut, it feels like that. Yeah. But when you walk away, you're like, oh, I don't know. Like that was kind of that was a lot of hard work. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It wasn't perfect the whole time, but yeah. but we, we made it out and walked away with a bunch of great shots and a, and a great segment yeah. and a great story. Yeah, so. and that's amazing too because I, you know, because I, I, I know that feeling of just like I, you, you end up finding the gems in in post, <laughs> but yeah, walking away, you're just like, ah, I don't know what I got, but. Yeah, it, it makes sense that a large crew necessarily out there would not bode well as as well, you know, like uh, as far as like moving quickly and like catching those conditions as you as you get them. I remember sure. I, I can't remember which film it was, but I remember I think it was probably at the end of one of the Banff films, but I saw a picture of their crew and it was like 20 or 30 plus people and I was shocked because I had always assumed that it was like the one-man band out there but I'm just like oh my word they have like actual crews like everybody else you know but talking to Justin he was just like yeah that's <laughs> that's not usually what you have it's not what you that's not what you usually get it's certainly not but sometimes <laughs> you get lucky in it and there's bigger budgets and but at the same time like I, I've been like TGR snowmobile film specialist for quite a few years. When you start adding people, mm. like just moving people in the mountains is is hard. Yeah. And the more people you add, the slower it is and potentially the less productive it can be. So like sometimes like it's really nice to be on those like big commercial sets when like every person has like the specific job mm -hmm. and they, they kind of make things a little more streamlined and make things happen. Like, mm -hmm. especially in those short windows, like we only have three days to get all this stuff. Like if any, afternoon that something was missed like mm -hmm. it's a huge loss yeah but we're always on these longer trips 
and just the ability to move quickly in the mountains and make decisions quickly and it's kind of what makes or breaks it yeah, yeah. it's I'd, I'd much rather have way more of a workload on myself and be able to move quickly than, than have a, than have a bunch of help yeah yeah so you had you had mentioned commercial um so you've delved into the commercial world then as well yeah yeah i have done done some commercial work it's all still in the action sports world okay, um, okay. whether yeah. whether it's like car commercials where they're going okay. skiing or phone commercials where they're shooting mountain biking or yeah, yeah. like things along those lines it's always it's all still in the in the action sports realm but it's yeah. fun to, to kind of dive into those because action sports has become more and more mainstream mm -hmm. um, yeah. over the years and and people are familiar with it and want to see it in in mainstream media which is cool how was that transition now i mean just like that first pivot point of like hey i've been doing this one-man band thing for for so long and this commercial wants me to come on to their shoot so all of a sudden ah, what what was it like jumping into that world i mean there's hierarchy there and you, you kind of there's people to tell you what to do and <laughs> and um or what they want and yeah. you're not just kind of out there like making it up on the fly so there's like it's yeah. nice to have some some kind of structure like that yeah. sometimes yeah yeah like I haven't really been on like a like a hundred person commercial or yeah. like even a fifty person commercial. Like I've been yeah. on sets with like twenty people, and there's like definitely more pressure because there's kind of a lot more eyes on you to kind of perform. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like them both. It's, <laughs> it's nice to have. It's nice to have a mixture. So you're prepping for one of these like weeks long shoots. Um, mm -hmm. What's happening in the weeks leading up? Working out <laughs> and, and like setting up life insurance. I don't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, he did mention some of that like crazy risk insurance. Is that like, do you set those up? Uh, you know, how long does it take to get all of this, like all the boring stuff? What What's happening? Everything. I mean, usually the producers at TGR will get life insurance pol or like global rescue insurance policies for us. So you're not getting any like individual, like extra? No, I mean, it's just the like, global rescue is it's pretty comprehensive. Like if something okay. were to happen if you were to get injured kind of like anywhere in the world like they'll okay. get you to a hospital of your of your choosing and they'll get you back home and um so it's just kind of like a worst case scenario yeah. kind of stuff and we have those on the back burner always um knock on wood i've never had to make that call we also carry those garmin inreach devices mm. which are like satellite communicators and we've had have, had to use those before but they're super handy tools as well um, on those like long winter camping missions that we do. It's great, great to be able to text mm -hmm. home or talk to someone back at the office to run some logistics or whatever. But as far as like preparation for those trips go, it's it's a lot of just making sure you got the right equipment and the right knowledge and mm -hmm. what the snowpack looks like where you're going and building the proper team and group dynamics is super yeah. important to me um, yeah, in the yeah. field and all that sort of, all that sort of stuff. It's not too much different than you would prep for another shoot. It's just yeah. like making sure you got the right stuff, make sure you got the right plan mm -hmm. and the right people and mm -hmm. just kind of go from there. Regarding those safety conditions, what's happening the night before the shoot or even the day before? Do you guys or do you do it like the morning of like stuff would change already from night to day? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very like storm based um, and weather based um, as, as things changed. And, mm -hmm. and there's 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 layers in the snow and mm -hmm. and some of those layers create problems and uh, persistent issues and and you just want to be familiar frequently we have guides who who will like take on some of this load but sometimes there's not and it's, it's on us to to make those decisions and we'll we'll dig pits um which mm -hmm. dig, you dig in a hole in the snow and you can like 
look at all the profile of all the layers and kind of oh, make okay. a decision and see how supportive it is. And yeah, and that's like an, another like big part of our world is not, not only am I a cinematographer, but I, I'm trained in, I have a wilderness first responder, which is like a medical rescue certification. And I have like my avalanche two certification, which is the whole, wow. a whole thing on, um, avalanche stability and avalanche rescue and, yeah. and predicting these problem layers and all that sort of stuff. And, and TGR has an amazing program called international pro riders workshop, which they run every year. Mm-hmm. And they bring all the cinematographers and the athletes and all these guides and, and, mm-hmm. and educators to teach us and refresh us on some of these things yeah. we deal with in the field every day. Wow. 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 So that, uh, name the avalanche one again. I have my avalanche too, which is like a, there's a whole series of avalanche courses. And then there's the, the wilderness first responder, which is the yeah. medical training that I have. Where it like someone not necessarily in Jackson hall, you know, like where, where would you go to get this kind of training? Could you just like sign um, up for it? Yeah, you can just go sign up for it. There's oh, okay. all sorts of there's there's a handful of institutes that teach avalanche rescue okay, and nice. and avalanche training and and they're frequently in mountain towns all over the country. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. and anyone can go and get, get that training. And I, it's if you're planning on traveling in the backcountry, it's like the first thing you do is get the like the proper equipment, which is Beacon Shovel Probe, and you get this training. Wow. And it's just the, it's the safest and best way to, to learn how to move in the mountains um, wow. outside of a ski resort. So um, one of the things that you had mentioned was group dynamics. Newcomers, I, like I've, I've talked to Justin and talked with another guy. He was in the field for like Nat Geo. And mm-hmm. like one of the things that they were talking about when it came to like letting newcomers into the group was, OK, all, all you got to do really is to like create your own work and mm-hmm. keep up. That it's kind of along the lines of like, okay, we can't get out there in negative whatever weather and it's a 20 day right. shoot and you crap out on day five, you know, that kind of a thing. Is there something else like, is there an equivalent of like, I don't know, you know, something sweeping the baseboards, some small detail that you would look for in a beginner that would be an automatic, you're definitely coming out again. Yeah. Um, I think that people who have like really high attention to detail is super important to me i've always found like people with those tendencies to like have what it takes to do more Mm -hmm. just like and like observant and attention to detail is like the two biggest things and like even to the point where if you open someone else's backpack and you look inside their backpack and if it's just a pile of shit (laughs) it's like it that's a red flag for me right away (laughs) But there's yeah. there's exceptions in that world too. Like yeah. I, I do have some people who I open their back, but it's like God, but they're amazing <laughs> in the field. They're they're incredible cities. But that's like that's like a one of those things where I'm like, all right, like if they're keeping a tight show in their pack, then yeah, then uh, <laughs> then they get they're they're gonna potentially do well for me. But no, that was actually a really good answer too. I mean, like yeah. how, like keeping your pack. I mean, like that's that's a really good answer. So yeah, <laughs> but it's that. like it depends on the trip. But well, these trips are long and grueling and there's like an emotional element there as well. Like mm-hmm. we have, like you want it, you got to be able to keep up when it's, when it's go time, yeah. but you also have to be able to sit there for two weeks when the snow sucks and your snow, like we, I, the, one of the first winter camping trips I ever went on was in, was in BC mm-hmm. and we got up onto this glacier. We like, when we set up camp, we knew we were surrounded by crevasse terrain. So we knew we couldn't really stray far from like our tent circle, um, wow. without being able to see. And, <laughs> it snowed for two weeks straight and we sat oh in that stars. tent for two weeks oh my not stars, being able to no. move no. <laughs> to be able to have people who are 
super talented in the field and super talented in the mountains, super talented with a camera and can also sit there and not crack for two weeks. That's an important melody to have because it's, we call it poisoning the well, but if you get someone who poisons the well, it takes the whole group down and it's not, uh, it's not good. Have you ever been in a situation where they got rid of the poison? Luckily the poison never really showed up. All right. All right, man. <laughs> I, yeah. That's we, awesome too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, TGR has always done a really good job like on those big expeditions. Like they take the cines, they take their advice on who they think will be good for the job and 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 they take take into consider group dynamics and all this stuff. Yeah. As I've done more and more of these trips, I've found what a essential thing that is. And I've had yeah. I've had bad experiences on short trips or like two-day trips or Ooh. or it's like it's things you can get away from. You can go to your hotel, yeah. you go to your hotel at night or <laughs> go home at night and kind of like recalibrate and be like, and just be able to deal. You're like you can see the end and you're like, okay, this is, this will be fine. But when you're, when you're in like kind of a gnarly situation yeah, on, a, on, a, on the side of a mountain in a yeah. snowstorm, you don't, you don't want anyone just unraveling on you. Uh, <laughs> no. yeah. Oh my gosh. In traditional uh, filmmaking, they have the union. So like they have the union and like union rates and you know, like all that stuff. That's kind of like the pinnacle, I guess you could say, because like that makes sure that you are kind of on the pinnacle tier of projects. You know, I don't know, like, is there any kind of unspoken or spoken or listed structure where, you know, you would find like the cream of the crop? You know, like you if you're if you're in with this group, you are able to get on like this tier level of projects. There definitely isn't that. There's not that. Okay. <laughs> All right. There's like TGR has like a really big reputation in, in the action sports world. Yeah. For sure. But there's also tons of other people who have that reputation. But and and maybe TGR has like the the biggest one of the bigger presences in mm-hmm. the ski world, but there's tons of other stuff um yeah. outside of skiing. I feel like those communities are quite tight. I feel like you find yourself in one of those communities and they, they continually pull from that community. Oh yeah. It can be kind of challenging to like bridge between those communities, mm-hmm. but there is tons of mutual respect. And if you're the right person for the job, you will get, you will get hired on, but there's definitely no union type thing that's setting <laughs> rate, setting rates or companies like TGR have their kind of their top tier people who they can kind of send on, on most projects that recommendation travels through the industry for sure. Are you then full time? Are you still still a freelancer with uh, with TGR? Yeah, I've I've always been a freelancer since I graduated college. I started became a freelance cinematographer, and I've always done contract work with them. But I've been around for a long time. So okay, I've, all right. I've, they they would hire me on for uh, I would sign winter contracts with them and work for them for the whole winter season. And oh, interesting. Films. And then come springtime or summer, I would change gears and and do other stuff. So. Oh, so they have like seasonal contracts of just like, do they mm-hmm. have like a spring or the summer contract then or fall? Um, <laughs> like, or is it, I don't know what it is. When I first started working there, it was like most of their stuff was very ski oriented. Okay. Okay. We would go out and we'd film from December till April. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the year was kind of post-production and they had a huge website presence. So that's a big part of the company, but that's kind of like how it went. But now TGR has dipped in this the mountain bike world a bit more so like yeah. we started doing mountain bike projects in the summer and then the yeah. kind of production and post-production cycle <laughs> was kind of more year-round and okay. um okay. they've they've got some 
some commercial contracts as well. And nice. they, they've kept me really busy over the years. I've never been a salaried employee with them, which is, which yeah. I've enjoyed. It's nice to be able to yeah. step away oh, yeah. and not, not burn out when you need the time and space, yes. which is really, <laughs> yes. really nice for me. I'll, I'll never, I, I like really cut my teeth with TGR and I have a lot of respect for what they've done for my career and, mm-hmm. and all the experience they've given me. And I'll, I'll never stop working for them for sure. Yeah. Um, but there is, I, ha- I do have other opportunities that I'm pursuing as well. I have the highest respect for the freelance life. Same, oh, yeah. <laughs> same over here. Like literally just because you, I don't know, sometimes it's just nice to not get bored <laughs> to like totally. uh, dip your dip your toe and like all these other times. So we had talked a little bit about like union, union rates, like there's not really anything that sets those rates for union, you know, like when they, when they post those there's that's that's kind of a pinnacle of pay that also happens like where people can expect to be paid a certain amount and then it kind of like trickles down to like indie films where it's like thanks man here's a good meal (laughs) Um, like you're awesome awesome you want to come back and do it again for free you know like like is it is it solely up to the the individual filmmakers like how could you how could a newcomer get into like a higher pay bracket like is there any kind of tier system not that I've found. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, um, but there is for sure. I mean, there's, there, it, it's very project dependent, it seems. Okay. All right. Um, like when there are bigger clients paying for the film, like, mm-hmm. but even my, my, how much I get paid within TGR fluctuates quite a bit. Okay. Um, All right. Depending on the project, like when they're, when they have higher budget, budget projects mm-hmm. and they're able to pay me more, they do, which I really appreciate, which is awesome. But also it keeps the fire alive and I can like, go on the ski film projects that don't pay quite as well, but I do it because I love them and I do it because I love the athletes and I do it because yeah. I love the the process. Mm-hmm. But no, it, it's definitely a, a moving target. I wish it wasn't. As a freelancer, <laughs> it's like bummer not knowing where your paycheck's coming from all the time. Yeah, yeah. Rates that I was excited about when I was 20 are <laughs> like, are things I just straight up say no to now. <laughs> yeah. As anyone perfects their craft, they they are able to charge more and more for it. But when you do things that people willingly want to do, it's like, oh, my nephew will do this for free. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like when it comes to like going up in helicopters and going skiing in <laughs> crazy places, like there's t- the line would be out the door yeah. if they would just take anyone to to go film that stuff for free. And and yeah. um, I'm super grateful that I get to get paid to to go do yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That influence moves the, the price point sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when you get to get paid well to do that stuff, it's amazing. So yeah, what would a newcomer expect for maybe a first-time job that you would say no to, even? Like the first time I got to, I was offered like a director of photography job. It was like two hundred dollars a day. <laughs> okay. Which was like at the time I was like, that's so much. Like like a hundred bucks a day was like standard for all the stuff that I had been doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like 200 bucks a day. I'd have to be really passionate about. <laughs> Since COVID happened, I all my work dried up when COVID started, like 100% of it. And oh, my girlfriend shit. works at a animal adoption center here in Jackson. Yeah. And I, I changed my entire workload to creating content for them, which wow. was like amazing. Wow. It was like yeah. the most rewarding, some of the most <laughs> rewarding shooting I've ever done. Just like animal rescue and all these nonprofits coming together to move animals from parts of the country that are overloaded with animals to to the wow. north where wow. it's like much easier to rehome animals and like I've worked in action sports world where it's heavy gnarly like yeah 
just hard rock montage hard, yeah hardcore <laughs> rock and roll action <laughs> yeah. sports stuff my whole career and like to step back and work with dogs and cats and <laughs> in the nonprofit world is like yeah. amazing and I'm, i mean i made 50 bucks a day yeah. and i loved it it was like basically enough to cover my camera insurance <laughs> <laughs> it was a great way to kind of step back from what i've been doing and kind of recalibrate and like mm-hmm. okay there's more than just going out and doing the doing gnarly stuff to yeah. to move the needle for me so it was cool I don't know. Like, I think there's like a deep part within all of us, like art as artists, that kind of have to kind of connect with some sort of deeper level of stuff of just like, oh yeah, like I'm an artist in more than just one respect. I don't know. There's this like, and sometimes it's just a, a new medium even that you come across. You're just like, oh hey, like all of these skills, like it actually translates over here too. And you know, there's nothing wrong with finding something else that you you can be just as passionate about. So it's, it's pretty awesome to find other For stuff. For sure. I mean, but, but back to the, the rates and stuff. Oh yeah. For me, I was saying yes to blindly saying yes to basically anything that came my way that was in the industry I was interested in. I yeah. didn't care how much I was, like as long as I was getting paid something yeah. and I was going to do something cool, I didn't care. And I just kept saying yes, kept saying yes what like was able to make enough money that I wasn't having to take other jobs. So my schedule was open and I was just able to say yes, to the drop of a pin. Um, I went to go shoot a, a Ford commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, it was just an, it was an AC gig. Yeah. We drove from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine over the course of four days. Someone called me and I had enough time to do my laundry, pack a bag and leave the same day <laughs> to go do it. <laughs> And because, because I was, I had an open schedule, I was yeah. able to be like, yeah, it sounds great. I'll go. <laughs> and amazing. I think that was like, that was definitely like a big key to, to my success was just being able to say yes, the drop of a pen and just go out and do a good job. And So besides the pay, is there anything, any other job that you would 100% say no to? I've had some weird ones over the years. Yeah. But I wouldn't do again. I wouldn't yeah. say that. I wouldn't say that. Sounds like a juicy, juicy story. <laughs> um, I went, I did this job in North Carolina, which is just such a hot place for yeah. a kid who grew up in Wyoming. It was like hundred <laughs> percent humidity and brutally hot every day. And we were filming this TV show about this kid, this Instagram famous kid who like came home for summer. Yeah. And with his friends, and it was like just lifestyle Instagram famous star show about, and it was just horrible. It was like, the, the, like the, it got sold to me. It was like, yeah, we're going to go to North Carolina. We're going to shoot race car driving, dirt biking, like all this. It was like, sick. Sounds great. I'm in. Was like, yeah. again, this is like me early on in my career where I'm just yeah. like dro- saying yes to everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I get there and it was like, okay, this is, this is hard work. It was like the, it was the first time that I had like agency, client, like video village. Oh wow. Like the first time I even had a sound guy, like the whole nine <laughs> yards. And and it was just it was a lot to take in and it was hot and the the talent was difficult to deal with and uh, and they weren't the athletes that I was expecting. Oh, and no. it was it was uh it made me start to stop and ask some more questions before I just say yes to yeah. everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have have yeah. a little bit more of a process. <laughs> totally 
No, that it's, it's always really interesting. Yeah, like there's always like the dream client that you would say yes to in a second. But I'm always curious, like, all right, well, what would you say no to, and like why? You know, I mean, I remember there's somebody who like they would hate it when they would walk onto a set and they would see like on Crafty there'd be like. Uh, like a moldy banana, you know, like uh, there wouldn't be any crafty or something like that. And they would say no, you know, that kind of a thing. And that would be like a really um, like a huge indicator that they were not going to be taken care of on this set, <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. So, yeah, right. it's always. Been- I mean, I usually get pretty excited when I find like an old mashed up granola bar in my backpack that I didn't know was there. <laughs> and there'll, be, there'll be days in the field that I like won't bring food or water just because I don't want to carry it. Uh, what? And. Yeah, oh. your, like your pack's already so heavy that like you're like okay, I'm only gonna this, like I know how long this trip's gonna be. Like I know it's only six hours. Like I'll just eat a bunch before I go, and I'll be fine. And then it snows for two weeks. Well, <laughs> that's an I can't. That's a diff, different kind of scenario. That's like <laughs> okay. I'm I'm for sure okay. going back to the truck tonight. Otherwise, I'm not gonna make it. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, yeah. all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I I'm wanting to know a little bit more about the tools of your trade. Uh, what gear or gadget is an old reliable? My personal camera is still a DSMC one dragon and red DSMC one dragon. And it, it's an amazing camera still like the sensor is the same as some of the sensors in the DSMC two versions of the red. And it's just a workhorse. I find that like a lot of the electrical connections, um, and the kind of like the workflow of like how the camera is works modularly. It mm-hmm. works slightly better in really? harsh, wet snow conditions. And it's been, I've had it for quite a few years now and it's paid for itself over and over again. And, mm-hmm. and it still, it still is kicking. And I still look at the image next to these new cameras and like, it's <laughs> still an amazing image. It's still <laughs> holding its own. Yeah. Yeah. And, yep. uh, I mean, obviously I'd, I would love to, to make the move and, and upgrade to that new Raptor that just came out, but mm. But yeah. um, no, that's been my been my old reliable for years, and nice. it's when people ask if if you have a red, it doesn't really matter what kind of red you have. You got a red, so yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember shooting on the red one, that gigantic caterpillar of a <laughs> yeah of a camera. <laughs> but man, yeah, no, they're they're solid, solid. What uh, new favorite gadget do you have that revolutionizes how you work? So like the last six months, I've started working with these systems called, it's called the GSS, uh, Gyro Stabilized Systems. Okay. In the last six months, I got flown to California to their headquarters, got trained in their systems, and then did a couple of projects over the last six months where I was like the tech, the technician and the operator for them. And it is by far the coolest tool I've ever used in my life. Interesting. I, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's, it's similar concept as like the Cineflex or the Shot Over. Yeah. Um, but it's like those big ball gimbal yeah, cameras yeah. that have that have a red and then mm-hmm. those big cinema lenses in them. So to have a stabilized camera that you can mount to a helicopter, a car, a side by side, what what pretty much anything that moves, yeah, um, yeah. with a three hundred or a thousand mil lens in it, it's wow. such a it's such a crazy tool. There was some merit to me being in the mechanical design or mechanical engineering <laughs> program as a kid because I'm a complete <laughs> nice. tech nerd. Yeah. I love working on that system it's i love all the parts and pieces and the troubleshooting yeah. and and it, it, it they do have issues sometimes and you have to be able to work quickly and figure out what's wrong with them and, and even the the process of changing the lens is like incredible incredibly order of operations based mm-hmm. and um oh and man 
quite a lot wow. of work and quite a lot of pieces and it's an expensive yeah. piece of equipment and you want to make sure you do it right. So my experience or my movement to using those systems more and more has been really exciting for me and, and I'm looking forward to, to operating and, and teching that system more in my future. Yeah, yeah. You were, you were talking about some of the quirks of it. Like what, because, okay, from what I, I think, I think, so David Allen Arnold, he was a, a previous guest who was the helicopter cameraman for Deadliest Catch. And I'm pretty oh, sure cool. that he has like the Cineflex system yep. within. Yep. So how would it differ from something like that? Is it something that you, that it, it, is it just for helicopters or is it like you can mount it onto anything is what you were, you were mentioning, right? Yeah, just like the Cineflex, you can mount it to, to all sorts. I mean, it's the same size. The GSS, the company actually GSS. bought Cineflex. Oh, okay. So Cineflex was like the parent, it was like the kind of the first, and then people left Cineflex and started GSS and shot over. One person in the U.S. started GSS and one person in New Zealand started shot over. Okay. And then since then, GSS has acquired Cineflex. Okay. Um, so they're, they're kind of all in the same ballpark of, okay, okay, um, okay. of systems. Nice. And yeah, like they're like the reason TGR has one is for mounting to the helicopter to shoot skiing in the backcountry in Alaska. And that's yeah. like it's that tool. There's nothing that parallels that. Like we we can shoot drone. Every once in a while, you can be like, oh, I don't know if that was a GSS or a drone shot. But if you're <laughs> using, the, G if you're using G the GSS the way it should be used, it is like unmistakably not a drone. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is such an amazing tool. And, and yeah, I mean, like any, like any piece of camera gear, okay. you have to fix stuff sometimes. And, and you, <laughs> it's just usually a little more stressful if there's blades of the helicopter spinning. <laughs> Oh my gosh yeah. yeah so are you are, are you the guy in the back then with the with the controls with the, like the joystick and stuff like that or yeah so i've only um i got my technical training and i've only done a couple jobs since then um, we did okay. this big uh wyoming tourism project um okay. where we mounted it to the roof of a truck and drove across the entire state over the course of three weeks wow and okay. for that i was the, the technician and the operator so i was the one behind the sticks operating for for this um commercial series and then I went to Ecuador in the fall and was a technician, but then the director let me operate for one of the flights, which was really oh, special. So that was my first, that was my first opportunity to operate in the air um, and not on a vehicle. It's fairly new to me, but it's something yeah. I'm really excited about and look, looking forward to a future in it. Okay. I want to go back to that gnarly part. I want to know about a story where something went wrong. Yeah, so two two years ago, I had a, we had a pretty serious incident in the mountains. It's gotten quite a bit of media attention over the last couple of years. We were in the Pemberton area mm. filming for a TGR ski film, mm. and Nick McNutt um, was skiing this pillow line kind of above this frozen lake bed. Nick, being like being the athlete that he is, skis this beautiful line, and in his in the course of his line, he like knocks off this big chunk of pillow like big frozen chunk of snow and it falls into the scully and is like trundling down the scully and and as he exits his line he lands in that gully kind of right as that snow and ice gets to him and it kind of yeah. swipes him off his feet and carries him through this these stand of oh trees gosh. and breaks his arm and <gasps> and um gets buried on that lake surface oh my um God. with about like two meters of snow which is a substantial amount of of snow and um in that process of him getting swiped through the trees his beacon got turned off oh and no. the avalanche the avalanche beacons is like how we locate people buried in the snow and that's what we train for 
um, is using those beacons to locate them. Thank God we had an incredible team in the mountains that day as we had um, Ian McIntosh and Christina Lusty, who are not only professional skiers, but also mountain guides. Everyone sprung into action to make the rescue as swift as possible. Mac quickly um, figured out that there was no beacon signal that we had to start probing for him to, to, to find Nick. And I was flying the drone, so I landed the drone and then snowmobiled over to the, where the debris pile was. And then everyone kind of pulled their probes out and we're kind of trying to figure out where he was. And right as we were about to be like, okay, let's make a probe line where kind of everyone stands on a line and kind of probes, probes the snow. You have these long sticks that you stick into the snow and kind of looking for a body. I arrived at the toe of the debris pile and kind of right as Christina was trying to like get us to start a probe line, I like stuck my probe in the snow and kind of like grazed something. I was like, hold on one second. And I stuck it, stuck it in one more time and was like, had a positive hit. So like within three probes of me arriving at the scene, I was like able to get a positive hit on Nick. And then we just dug like hell and got him out of the snow. And if you watch Winterland is the film that, um, the actual, the full, I think it's, it got showcased in two of the TGR films. I think it was. I, I feel like there was at least a clip or something going around that I saw of this. Yeah. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. that I saw this. That wasn't, yeah. yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, so so we dug him out. He had a broken arm. Um, luckily, it was a nice day. The helicopter was able to come in quickly um, and get him to a hospital. And, and uh, he's, it's taken him, it took him about a year and a half to like, it, his arm was completely shattered and, oh and uh, it took him quite a while to kind of recover from that. But he's still with us, which is amazing. So <laughs> that was definitely, that was definitely the, the heaviest moment I've had <laughs> in the mountains for sure. Okay. But yeah, definitely. Thanks, thanks to thanks to good training and and quick thinking, we we still got our friend with us, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. This is this is not necessarily the same thing as like, oh yeah, somebody pulled our location. <laughs> right. But right. oh my gosh, yeah that that is absolute bonkers. Um, I yeah when you're when you're working in the when you're working in the mountains, it's you're you're holding a heavier deck of cards for sure. Yeah insane so how about we jump from like the thing that goes wrong (laughs) to Mm -hmm. uh the thing that goes right we we do have a a listener question uh you can ask your questions on instagram at practical filmmaker favorite shoot and why my first ever mountain bike shoot was like proper bike shoot for a film was for accomplice which is still one of my most proudest pieces of work i've been a part of um and the first ever shoot of that trip was my ended up being my favorite segment in the film um, and it was Graham Agassi segment in, in Ritalik. And Ritalik is this little lodge on this little mountain pass in between Nelson, British Columbia, Caslow, and the Slocan Valley. And yeah. it is absolute heaven on earth. It's a, it's a cat skiing operation in the summer. It's a mountain biking, or sorry, it's cat skiing operation in the, in the winter and a mountain biking destination in the summer. And we got to go out there for 10 days with like such a stellar crew, such an amazing athlete with some of the best bike trails I've ever seen in my life and just the energy and the crew and the place and the way it all came together and the way the Mm -hmm. segment pulled together. uh, I cherished that trip and and that place more than, more than most things. And and it's, I'm always in the back of my mind to figure out how I can get back there and and film another segment there or just go there on vacation because it's, it's a super, super special place. Our next listener question is a recommendation for someone wanting to do what you do. Um, I think the 
biggest recommendation for for getting into what I'm doing is have a love for the sports. It really takes quite a bit of experience and, and knowledge in the mountains and, and in the sports to kind of even navigate the terrain that we're working in. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have that that background in the sports is, is super important. And just be a person that people want to spend time with because there's you spend a lot of time mm-hmm. um, together on these long extended trips and in remote places and just having a personality that people want to have around and that works hard and is creative and motivated and brings uh, just brings something great to the table. And uh, speaking of bringing something to the table, so uh, we kind of grazed over this too about you being a part of a Red Bull shoot. Um, <laughs> you're actually headed out like tomorrow, yeah. Kings and Queens of Corbett's is like this big ski event that happens at Jackson Mountain Resort. So last year and this year, I'll, I'll be like kind of the head of the camera department on like okay. placing camera positions and and okay. making sure it looks the way we want it to look. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that starts tomorrow. So we'll we'll go and prep cameras for this whole week. And then the following week is the window for the event. So hopefully we'll get a nice weather window with good snow for the athletes to jump into Corbett's. <laughs> nice, nice. So yeah. our last listener question is, how would you suggest one gets their foot in the door with someone like Red Bull or our big name clients? It's not that easy, unfortunately. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like, it's not like I've worked with them and I don't have a shoe in, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And it, it just, it just takes either being or like having a, an incredible library of work or being trusted by the right people in the industry to do a good job. And those are kind of like, I feel like the two, the two avenues. So last question that I always ask every guest, what questions should I have asked you? I mean, I guess I didn't really talk about like what my scope of work is. Yeah. All right. Um, like yeah. kind of what, like what I, what I do in the field on an average. Like yeah. What, yeah. Ex- Maybe that was my fault. <laughs> I don't know, do you want the answer? Or? Yes, absolutely. Uh, like outside of my like skill set in the mountains, drone operator, FPV operator, GSS tech and operator, Phantom tech <laughs> operator. Wow. To work in the in the in the mountains and to work in the action sports industry, you kind of have to have a pretty deep bag of tricks. And and luckily, yeah. I've had enough opportunities to to kind of fill that bag over time. With different certifications and you know that kind of stuff to boot as well. <laughs> For sure. How do people find you and follow your work? Shameless plug up. A director I really admired told me a long time ago, I, I was like, man, like I've really been working on getting my website and my reel up yeah. and running. And he was like, the only people who have websites and reels are people who are not, not busy enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, I'll just, I'll just keep busy then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're busy, I mean, like, can you complain? You're doing something that you love and you're keeping bread on your table. So there's not really much else you have to ask for, huh? Totally. So, I, I mean, I somehow have made it quite far in my career without having made a reel or a website. Um, <laughs> yeah. So people who think that's 100% necessary to have any amount of success in this industry aren't, aren't totally true. Yeah. Um, I do yeah. wish I had one, but I just haven't had the time yeah. um, or the motivation to put forth the effort. I got social media account. I got myself on Instagram, TGRI's website. I've had a hand in, in most things on there in the, in the last half decade. And all right. And your Instagram was it's speed and creative. Well, thank you so much for the insight and, uh, the incredible stories that came along with it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this interview, follow us right here and on Instagram, ask us questions and check out more episodes at the practical filmmaker.com. 
Be well and God bless. We'll see you next time on The Practical Filmmaker.